Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to 2024. Now, regular listeners will know that Roshan and I were very keen to move into 2024 and bring you all just a little bit of hope. So today's episode is all about Alea. Alea was one of my past clients and she built a fantastic team around her to help her prepare for her next round of IVF treatment. Now, spoiler alert, Alea has since gone on to have her own beautiful baby in 2023. We very much hope that by sharing Alea's story, we bring you a little bit of hope and a little bit of optimism that 2024 will indeed be the year for you. So on behalf of myself and Roisin, we are sending you all of our love and best wishes for the year ahead. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Roisin. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specializes in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, lighthearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. On this week's show, I am absolutely delighted to welcome Alea. Alea is one of my clients. She worked incredibly hard through multiple weeks of training and she really benefited from all the effort that she put in. And the fabulous news is that Alea is now pregnant and we are delighted to have her on the show. Would you mind by starting and just telling us a little bit about your background, please? Yeah, of course. My husband and I decided to start trying for a baby in around November 2020. We had no idea about our fertility status. I was 34 at the time and had had friends who'd been through miscarriages and some people had struggled and it had taken some time. So we thought this could take forever. Let's just get on and start, even though we weren't sure if we were necessarily 100% ready. We started trying for a baby and actually fell pregnant immediately that first month. But sadly, that pregnancy went on to end in a miscarriage in January 2021, so at about 10 weeks. We didn't know why. It was all very confusing. We'd had COVID over the Christmas period, so we were kind of thinking, could it be because of COVID? Could something have happened with our health? Could the baby have been damaged because of that? So, you know, all of the questions that we all ask ourselves when things end in a miscarriage. And it's the not knowing that's really traumatic and makes the whole thing a very difficult situation to deal with. And of course, we went to the doctors, spoke to the NHS, but there was nothing that they would do at that point because it was just our first attempt at becoming pregnant, first miscarriage. So we just got back on the horse, tried to move on, get back on with things. And we started trying to conceive again almost immediately as soon as my periods came back the following month. At that point, we kind of started timing everything and tracking ovulation and doing everything that we all do when we're trying to make things happen quickly. We had no further conceptions despite kind of doing all of that timing and tracking. I had some tests on the NHS in July, which showed nothing abnormal. And it wasn't until August 2021 that we kind of sought some help. At that point, I'd started talking to friends about how traumatic it was to be going through the rigmarole of timing your ovulation and trying to conceive every month and 
sex just became so clinical. At that point, our relationship was probably already starting to take a bit of a toll because then you get to the point where like, right, come on, it's that time of day, it's that time of the week, it's that time of the month, we need to get on this now. Reading all sorts of advice or articles on the internet about what's the best time of day to be having sex to try to conceive. How many times a day should you be having sex? How many times a week should you do it every day? Should you not? Still nothing happens. It was in August that I kind of started talking to friends about how difficult it was. And a friend of mine said that she had struggled to conceive and she went for acupuncture. And it was after she had acupuncture, like literally the next month that she got pregnant straight away. So I was like, that's it. I'm going to go and have acupuncture and this is going to solve all my problems. Of course, it didn't. I believe wholeheartedly in puncture and holistic stuff now, but at the time I was really skeptical about the whole thing, but thought I'll give anything a go. Went to have acupuncture with a lovely, lovely lady called Libby, Libby Templey, who I still see now. She did help me actually. She kind of made me see that my periods were not regular and she kind of got everything back on track. She asked me lots of questions. Um, but it was actually Libby that then introduced me to Julia, Julia Young, who we then went and sought nutritional help from. From there, that's where everything then spiraled to where we are now. And so that's how we met Maria and pulled the fitness thing into everything. So we were working on our nutrition, on our fitness. Julia introduced us to Mr. Ramsey. We'd identified that we, we had male factor infertility, essentially. So my husband's um, it had a very high percentage of abnormal forms. It was kind of from there onwards that our fertility journey, I suppose, really accelerated to the point where I'm now 29 weeks pregnant. Congratulations. That's fantastic news. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us because I know there's a lot in there and I am really sorry for your loss as well. One of the first things that you mentioned was, you know, as soon as you started getting into the kind of fertility life, if you want, you started tracking and you were kind of temping and you were looking at time of day. And you mentioned very quickly that it was already having an effect on your relationship. Would you mind just talking to us a little bit more about what you mean by that? Because I know that can be really tough. Yeah, it can. Sex just took on a different meaning. Mm -hmm. And it's such an important part of any relationship. It just became clinical. It was me more than him, 100%. I would just suddenly, right, this article has told us that we need to try at midday. So this week, we're going to try at midday every day. And no matter what, we were working from home. So it was quite easy to kind of make that happen. And there was no like real intimacy to it. There was no emotional connection. And I think all of that thrown in with the emotions around still getting over the miscarriage and wondering if and when it was going to work for us, it just puts so much pressure on, on your relationship as a couple. Uh, and all of those things do the opposite of, you know, everyone saying to you, relax, just enjoy, just chill out, just relax and it will happen. And so you're thinking at the same time with the total opposite of relax right now. I'm really glad that you mentioned the stress that the miscarriage also has and the trying to carry on to conceive when you're still processing that loss. Because I know that this will ring true with a lot of listeners. It rings true with myself as well. And to be honest, I think most of the guests that we've had on the show have been in a similar situation. And we've not really talked about it before, but you're absolutely right. You're processing this grief whilst also trying to move forward. And it is just such a massive emotional toll to try and deal with because they're two separate things. You know, you've got the grief, but you're also trying to plan ahead. And 
think you mentioned emotional intimacy as well. It just takes an absolute battering, doesn't it? It's such a hard time for people. Yeah, 100%. And on top of that, you just feel like every month you're running out of time Mm -hmm. because everything you're reading is women's fertility drops off a cliff at the age of 35. And in my case, I was 34 and getting ever closer to that milestone age. This is the amount of time I've got left and I need to make this happen. Absolutely. And as you said, you started when you were 34. I was exactly the same age. I never really remember anyone saying to me, you know, you got to get this done in your 20s or you know, you should really kind of speed this up. Yeah, you just think, oh, we've still got time. But nobody ever says to you, get this done in your 20s. We're, we're all taught how not to get pregnant. The other thing that must have really confused you was that you got pregnant so easily the first time that you tried. Mm. That must have been quite a confusing thing because you had evidence that you could do it. I found it so frustrating, and I know that a lot of other people face this, that outsiders saying to you, well, at least you know you can get pregnant, was like the worst thing that you could possibly. It's amazing the advice that we receive because you also mentioned that apart from the observation that, well, at least you know you can get pregnant, you're also getting the just relax And it's amazing that so many people that we talk to get the just relax advice. If the just relax advice worked, by the way, everyone would have a baby. And I often think that like someone that's already in a stress state to tell them to try and relax, it compounds, doesn't it? It just makes the situation so much worse. It really does. Because you just think, I can't fucking relax. (laughs) There's nothing I can do to relax. (laughs) That's so true. It's okay. I totally get it. One of the things that I know the trying to conceive community struggle with is who to actually talk to when they're on this journey. Mm. Working with the women that I've worked with, got some people who, you know, they tell everybody because they need the support. They tell the mum, they tell the grand, they tell, you know, Auntie Mary. But then I've also worked with other clients who tell nobody at all. And it's for lots of different reasons. And quite often it's for cultural reasons. I also think there's kind of a feeling of shame, which I would like to point out. I don't agree with, but I 100% understand it. So I just wondered if you would be happy to kind of share with us the the types of people you told so that you could get support. Well, at its most difficult, I don't think I had really told anybody. It took me a long time to even speak to my mum. I'd spoken to my friends about having difficulty, like trying to conceive generally and asking them, like, how quickly did you guys manage it? And people would say, you know, just keep going for four, six months. And then it was a friend of mine who had had suffered a miscarriage that I reached out to the most. And it was her that set me on this acupuncture journey. And then from then on, I kind of only spoke to that one friend who had had a miscarriage because she got it a bit more. And it was after I started acupuncture, I found support from Libby, who is my acupuncturist. And then from there on, It was Julia and it was Maria and then it was Dr. Ramsey and then it was our lovely consultant, Lynn Lynn Chapman, who we eventually went through IVF with. And I kind of referred to you all as my team. After having those people around me, I was able to talk more openly about it. But in the beginning, I very much just relied on Julia, Maria, Libby and Lynn. Um, and then my husband had the Dr. Ramsey side of things. Yeah, I really relied on that, that team of people. And we had a nice group on the app that you use and kind of conversing with people on that group was quite helpful. So using the online communities. Yeah, it wasn't until we got much further down the line of the journey that I really started to open up. I kind of had a big chat with myself and I said, 
we need to be talking about this, not only because it will help us, but also because it will help other people. And the more I opened up, the better I felt about it all. And the more I found that more and more people were coming to me to talk about going through similar situations. Well, I'm really feeling quite emotional right now. Oh, I'm really glad that you find people to be in your team. And I think it also shows the listeners and, you know, if there's any clinicians listening, you know, it is a massively holistic journey. Mm hmm not just in terms of the acupuncture, the fitness, the nutrition, obviously the, the medical side of it, but I think psychologically as well. You said you spoke to your acupuncturist and I will ask you more about that in just a minute, but she then set you down this journey and then someone else sends you down this journey and it's it's a big chain of events. And now you're 29 weeks pregnant, which is, you know, absolutely amazing. Yeah, I'm really happy that you met people that helped you on that journey. And it is really emotional, I think. And yeah, acupuncture. So we've done an episode on acupuncture before. And to be honest, it's one of our most listened to. So people definitely want to know more about this. I was just going to add into your question, Maria. I'm interested from a skeptic's point of view, because I was quite skeptical about acupuncture. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I was so skeptical about it. My brother is a doctor and so is his wife. And we've got nurses in the family and everybody is very like Western medicine, evidence-based, go for the drug. However, since having acupuncture, my sister-in-law, who is a consultant, believed that acupuncture does have a place. I went into it completely thinking, this isn't going to work, but my friend said that she had it and it worked for her, so what have I got to lose? Libby started by asking me to kind of track my periods. And although my periods had been very regular always, the consistency of them and the length of time that I would bleed for was not that consistent. She'd asked me to look at whether I was having clots in the colour of the blood and how many days I would bleed for, how heavy my periods were. And after a few months, my periods went from regular in terms of time frame, but irregular in terms of consistency to being exactly what Libby was kind of striving to achieve. For me, that visual representation, that physical change of seeing my periods go from one thing to something else, I was like, wow. Because I don't know if I've ever really looked at my period, not in any kind of level of detail. Neither had I. <laughs> what were the changes? The number of days that I was bleeding for became less. I had much fewer clots, if any at all. So she was saying it should be like a cherry red. And mine were starting off as a brownie colour and then becoming a really like almost like red wine red and then tapering off again into a brownie colour again. Uh, but then there'd be these little clotty bits in between at my most heaviest. And I had always had that even prior to my miscarriage. And then after a while of working with Libby, it became three days of the specific colour of red that she was looking for, like clockwork, after I'd been working with her for a couple of months. That's amazing. One of the things I wanted to ask you, and I hope it's okay to ask this, is I know that being pregnant after a loss can be very difficult. Would you mind just letting us know how you've been coping? Of course, the first 12 weeks were horrendous. Yeah. I was really anxious because I wasn't feeling any movement. And even when the midwife told me that my placenta was placed at the front, so I probably wasn't feeling any movement because of that, the anxiety has been extremely high. I was quite pragmatic about the, the psychological aspect of, of having a miscarriage. I didn't really view that miscarriage as having lost a baby. I think even at that time, because I'd had friends who'd suffered miscarriages, I didn't allow myself to get too emotionally attached to that embryo, that fetus. I know some people struggle with feelings of guilt 
for me, it's more about the anxiety of not getting there and not actually reaching the end. It shows how everybody processes it differently. How would you say your husband, how did he cope with the miscarriage and then being on to trying again? Because it obviously it will have affected him as well. He's outwardly the world's most positive person. Everything in life, he's just like, it's fine. Let's just smile and carry on. And maybe it's a man thing, I don't know. But he never really voiced his feelings around the loss. Latterly, I discovered that it was really difficult for him. It was kind of more difficult for him. or So he says that because of the way that it affected me. For him, the difficult part was finding out that our main issue was male factor infertility. And, and it was at that point that things started to kind of all click into place. When did your husband get checked? How long did that take? Was it simultaneously or did you have to go through a battery of tests first and then then he started? I had some tests on the NHS in the summer of 2021. But they didn't even ask to see him. I know. Now being in that community, that's normal. That's just how it is. It wasn't until we started seeing Julia, Julia Young, and she suggested that he go for a semen analysis. So almost a year after the miscarriage, we got his semen analysis done. We should have thought about it ourselves. That's what I say to all my mates now that are starting to try to conceive now. I say to them, go and get your MOT done. Yeah, I think you're right, though. No one thinks about getting the mail tested and even the clinics didn't do it. It feels like you're getting a medical degree in fertility when you go through this journey. Things that you find out are immense. It really does. When he was finally given that diagnosis, was there any support given for the, the male factor in fertility or was it just okay, uh, this is a problem, so now we're going to do IVF. No, not really. I mean, I think I was offered counselling, but actually, no. It was just trying to find out what we did about IVF. Exactly that, Maria, you're right. But of course, we were still working with our team. There was a lot of support from that respect. We read a lot about how sperm quality could be improved through lifestyle changes and dietary changes. So we, we kind of got really into all of that and completely gave up alcohol, completely gave up caffeine, tried to remove plastic from our diet. Now in terms of support, like psychological support for him, there wasn't really much. We know from the research that a diagnosis of infertility is linked to grief, trauma. And then like you've just said, no support really given it. It's bonkers, isn't it? It's definitely something that needs to change, I think, moving forward. Definitely. And I know that there are groups out there that help the guys. Yeah, there are. There's some very, very good groups out there. And actually, we did have Kieran on our show as well, and he works a lot with male factor infertilities. To any listeners who are interested, if they kind of jump back in, there is an episode in there and where he talks about what can be done as well, because it is massively important. I'm really just dying to know what was your reaction when you when you found out that you were pregnant? I posted a picture of the pregnancy test on Mum's net just to check that other people could see lines on it because uh, yes. I just did. I just didn't believe it. <laughs> Alea, I have been there, and then I got really freaked out and I deleted it. Have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. Rations looking at me as though I've lost my mind. But this is the thing. Can you explain this to me? Yeah, Alea, you explain it, but I, sorry to jump in on you, but I 100% understand where you're coming from. And this, this is not me being disrespectful to Roshin at all, but Roshin does look flabbergasted right now. So Alea, knock yourself out. Tell us <laughs> what's going on. With all due respect to Roshin, this is the difference, I think, between people that have been through fertility and, the, and for people that haven't. No, absolutely. And, and Roshin knows I'm not being rude to her, but this is it. So Alea, go on, tell us all about that, because I'm with you. I am with you all the way. 
So I did the pregnancy test and it was, it was a very faint line to be fair. It was, you know, I wasn't just being overly neurotic. I don't know the science actually, but I think your HCG levels, when you do that pregnancy test, yeah, but not as high as they might be if you'd have waited and conceived naturally and then you probably wait a bit longer. So that could be why it was faint. I don't know. But I was looking at it going, it's positive. I was there with my husband, Miha. I think it's positive. And he's going, what? What? It's positive. Like, yeah, but I don't know. Like, let's just not get excited. I'd literally never posted anything on Mums Net before, so I had to sign up for an account. And um, <laughs> so I signed up for a Mums Net account, posted the photo and said, can anyone see a line there? And then I think five or six, five or six other Mums Net users were saying, yeah, I can see a line. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, I can. And then I think one person said something like, oh, looks like a cheap test. I would try a first response or a clear blue. And then I thought, right, that's it. So I was feeling quite positive because all these people had said, yeah. And then this woman, this one person said, um, yeah, looks like a cheap test. <laughs> so then, oh. so then we went and then I went to a 24 hour pharmacy because it was late at night to find some more tests and I bought about 10 or they all were very much positive. That is fantastic news. But even still, like I said earlier, I still didn't quite believe it. You go and buy the test, you do all of them. You tell yourself, hey, I'm only going to do one test and then I'll move on. That does not happen. Every day, every hour, you know, you're just there weighing all the time on these sticks. I completely, completely fully understand what you're saying here. I also wanted to ask you, you said something interesting with IVF because the difference is you know exactly when conception happened. Did you then wait for the on the day, the OTD, as people like to abbreviate on the internet? Did you wait for the clinic? I could never wait. So I understand if you didn't wait until on the day. But how did you manage that situation? I did. I waited until the day that, that our clinic had told us to, like two weeks after the transfer. Impressive. Very impressive. I started at 10 days post ovulation. I was like, let's go, people. Let's go. Let's just start weighing on those sticks. I, you know, oh my God, I know I've got no self control. That's why I can't have chocolate in the house. It's the same thing, really. I think for me, it was about I didn't want to face, I was so convinced that it, it wouldn't have worked. So I didn't want to see that negative result. I was like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to know. Ah, it's like Schrodinger's pregnancy, which is me being a little bit geeky, but this is the idea and you are 100% right. A lot of the time you don't do the test because basically until you, you don't know so you can live in hope. I think that was it. So you've mentioned that you had a team around you and that was super helpful. Was there anything else that you found helpful when going through uh, your fertility journey? I know we've got an amazing TTC community on, you know, Twitter and Insta. Was there anything else in particular that you did find helpful as a good source of information and support? Generally, I followed a lot of people on Instagram who were going through similar situations and had similar stories. And I found that to be really helpful because it makes you understand that you're not alone. That would be the only additional thing I would say. And for me, I think I wasn't expecting to gain so much from working with the likes of you and Julia. Having that exercise routine and having somebody reminding you to do that exercise and also like focusing on your diet and your nutrition, it gives you some element of control in a very uncontrolled situation that you're in so that everything is out of your control, whereas those are some things that you can actually take control over. And that was really helpful for me. 
again, I do feel really emotional because even though I know that it's only a, a small part of the, the jigsaw, it's just really nice to know that it's helping. And one of the things that I do say to people a lot is, you know, there are lots of things you can't control, but your fitness and like you said, nutrition is one of them. And I'm just glad it helped. It really helped. And, and you know, again, I'm ever the skeptic. Somehow I recognize that psychologically I couldn't have got to where I am now without it. I think I would have been in a very different place mentally had I not had all of those people around me. Yeah, you had a good team. Yeah, I think you're right. I think in a world where you feel like completely out of control, you have to pick a few things you can control and like focus on those. Mm -hmm. If you had a little magic wand, what, what would you like to have? If I could start the whole process again, I would just do all the tests before we even started trying to conceive the first time. It would have saved us a miscarriage because the miscarriage was likely to have been caused by a sperm that's fertilized it that had poor DNA so that it wasn't a viable embryo. Um, it would have saved us time. There's not enough information out there until you have to start looking for it. I think you're right what you said about it saving you time and, you know, potentially heartbreak as well. And I don't think you can really put a price on that. The heartbreak of, of a loss is significant. If there is anything you can do to try and avoid that, then it's absolutely worth fighting for. Alaya, I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on the show today. And I know I'm speaking for Roshan here as well, but we've both found it genuinely very emotional. And there is a huge amount of information here that will help our listeners. A lot of it we haven't ever touched on before. And I think we could do a whole other episode just on a couple of the things you've mentioned today. And also, we're delighted that you're pregnant. You know, this is the best news ever. So huge congratulations. Thank you very much for having me on. What an amazing girl. Genuinely. And so emotional, Maria, all the way through that, you were so emotional. I actually was. And for anyone that knows me, you will know that that doesn't actually come that easily, but genuine emotion. And I think because Alea and her husband did work so hard and they made significant life changes, absolutely massive changes, and they, they don't hide that fact. They did everything they could. They controlled what they could, which is massively, massively important. And like Alea said, she had a team because it's a holistic journey. And she worked very, very hard. And I'm just delighted for both of them, to be honest. So congratulations. And also this idea of playing it forward and wanting other people to, to know about her experience and their experience as a couple so others don't have to go through the same thing. It's, it's genuinely lovely. It's what it's all about. We're very, very happy for them both. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week and please rate, comment and really importantly share with your friends, especially our trying to conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors. We strongly recommend that you consult your doctor before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.